Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. Uh, I've got a really exciting uh, conversation today with Ewan Vo, uh, trainer and facilitator and owner of Fierce Consulting. So welcome, Ewan. Oh, thank you so very much, Paul. Delighted to be here. Well, great to have you, and I really look forward to a, a conversation, see where we go and see what your angle on helping people perform is and uh, and what we can learn from you. So always keen to learn. Um, and before we get into some of the bits that you do, and I've noticed on your uh, your website, you've got a great tagline of get more done, save resources and reduce burnout. So that gives us some real great stuff that we can delve into a bit later on. Um, I was hoping in the beginning just to, for our listeners to just get a bit of a flavour for your background. You know, what have you done up to now that's got you to where you are today? Oh, uh, very good question. So my uh, education is in economics. I have a degree in economics from the University of Cambridge. And unimaginatively, I went into the city of London into banking with that degree. So my career is sort of a game of two halves so far. So the first half was very technical, analytical. I was a corporate treasury person in uh, Lloyd's Banking Group. Wow. And um, yeah, and it was it was very enjoyable for a while uh, until the financial crisis, <laughs> which you may recall, and that made it even more interesting, yeah. uh, if not necessarily enjoyable. Right. Um, and then uh, glossing over some some details of my career, the latter part of my career has been focused on helping people um, in their work environment. So um, I started out in-house working at Lloyd's in employee engagement, looking after the Treasury Department, ranging from performance management to career development to talent retention uh, to comp all of those uh, flavors of things and then I finally decided to to start out on my own when I began fierce consulting uh, my little business and then started servicing clients mainly in the corporate and banking world probably because I speak their lingo I understand the culture and probably my network is strongest in that field Um, and uh, yeah and I I haven't looked back to be absolutely frank so that's (laughs) my that's my background. Fantastic and do you um because I, I, I hear a lot of parallels with my background as well from a sort of working in corporate and then working on corporate a little bit. So having those internal improvement roles. Did you ever go out with the intention of going in that direction or did you just go with the flow and take the opportunities that came to you? Yeah, I have uh, no plan. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say, given that I do a lot of work on project management, that I had this grand plan and I left and I knew exactly what I was doing, but I didn't. I was feeling it out. I was pretty burnt out, to be frank, when I left corporate. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew it wasn't continuing in that that line. Um, In fact, I was exploring reducing my my outgoings, my financial outgoings to a level where I wouldn't have to work again. Okay. Um, so I don't know if, if those of your listeners are aware of a, something called FIRE, which is a um, financial independence retire early. I was an advocate of that principle. Um, so 
it just turned out that sort of in my first year of so-called retirement or just relaxing after really hard work, um, a, a colleague, ex-friend, uh, sorry, ex-colleague, continuing friend. <laughs> we could edit that. Friend, <laughs> yeah. She called me up and said, would you like to do a consulting gig? And I was like, oh, yeah, actually, yeah, why not? It'd be a nice little bit of pocket money and it would be interesting to do. And it just built from there, frankly. Um, mm. and, and I've just been muddling my way through ever since <laughs> and so that brings us to where you are today with fierce consulting i'm all right thinking you've been going for a number of years now is it around 2016 if i if my linkedin stalking is correct <laughs> you know what i yeah. don't even know yeah. it's crept up on me i'd have to look when the company was incorporated but yeah 2016 sounds about right yeah yep. quite probably yes <laughs> And uh, and so tell us a little bit about Fierce Consulting. You mentioned those three things of getting more done, saving resources and reducing burnout. So is that the main focus of, of how you help people? Yes, I would say I would say I my approach is sufficiently flexible so that when consulting with my clients, I identify core issues. <clears throat> core desires I can adapt my style my content to meet their particular needs so I can be as flexible as working on communication or you know right over into um, how to be more empathetic to project management so there's not kind of particular niche in that respect I just happen to have won a lot of business in project management which is that's kind of part of what people um, that's part of the demand side of the the market maybe that's just what's needed Mm. um but the reason why I have that tagline is because that's what I feel, that's what I sense um, people want at the moment. They're feeling very overwhelmed. Um, mm. There is still very high headcount cuts, uh, high numbers of uh, vacancies across the all sectors, frankly. Yeah. And people are tired. And um, even more after the COVID, they've had a reassessment of their life priorities um, and they're asking questions of themselves and of their family and of their partners that perhaps they've not done for a long time. Hmm. Um, so that's why I have that tagline. It doesn't necessarily mean I do particularly one thing. It's more about addressing that general concern that I see right. in our society. Hmm. So you, uh, in terms of working with your clients, you would just understand their their needs, understand their challenges, and then you sort of bring a tailored approach to what you think can support their needs at that time. Is that fair to say? Yeah. What often happens in the sales process is a client will come to me and say, I'm looking for this type of training. Right. Right. And I'm like, oh, okay, interesting. Let's have a conversation. Yeah. And I think a lot of the people that you um, who subscribe to your podcast will be familiar with this, those who are in, the, in this industry. Because when you start having that conversation and digging deeper, mm. actually, that is not the thing they need. there is something greater going on there's something more systemic that Mm. they need to address and and part of that sales conversation is helping them identify that and sometimes helping them to accept that Mm. actually that latter bit is actually quite hard Mm. i know in previous conversations we've had uh we talk about the need for having those conversations and challenging those things a bit deeper and uh i know from conversations i've had in the past that you can almost do yourself out of work in in those areas, can't you? Because it's like, what you need is something else, and I'm maybe not the person for that. You know, the, how, have you come across those situations yourself? And uh, how how's that been for you? Totally. 
I, d- I don't know who it was, but there is a tagline is that it's not training is not usually the thing you need. Right. And for a trainer, <laughs> it's like a horrible <laughs> mantra. But a lot of people perceive training as this um, magic bullet. Mm. It's not it's not going to be the main pillar that's going to fix your culture. Mm. Right. So um, very often I'll be brought in for improved communication. Let's take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you get to the bottom of it, there's some just really toxic behaviors, mm. uh, very distortive behaviors happening, usually at the very senior level, right? And me coming in and talking about how to lie at, you know, lay out an argument or how to present is, is that's not going to fix that. Right. But that's a very difficult conversation to have with the leader mm. <laughs> that's brought you in for the training. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a it, it's a tough one, I, I know, and it's uh, it, it's often one of those things where just to first of all, it's hard for that individual client to necessarily open up to that and realize that in the first place. And even if they do, um, you know, there's all sorts of complications, budget, uh, you know, what's the need at the moment, what's the plan as it goes into a wider plan of action. I don't, I didn't delve into this, but you tend uh, to work with larger institutions and financial institutions and things like that, right? That's yeah, correct. yeah, and they they're often um, certainly from my experience, and uh, I know you you know my wife who's in the banking sector as well in that, in that field. In the, you know they've got a very good plan of action often for the full year, um, whereas a lot of the smaller institutions may be a bit more reactive and a bit more uh, agile in that uh, term with a, a small a uh, in terms of the needs at, at that time. So yeah, it's a, it's a it can be a, re- a really tough conversation, can't it? And, uh, and tr- as you say, training isn't always the answer. Yeah. And then there's also the art of the possible, right? So um, when I was earlier on in my career, I, my purist, my puritanical streak (laughs) demanded that we go straight to the root cause and there's no point doing anything unless we were actually really dealing with the, the issue at hand. But what I've kind of reconciled with is that, okay, the chances of me dealing with the toxic behaviors at the CEO level is, is is rare, is going to be small, right? Mm. But what can I do at the level I'm allowed access to yeah. uh, to help them? So mm. if I can make things even just 10% better, isn't it worth doing? So, yeah. yeah, so there's a sort of realism, art of the possible type angle as well. Yeah, I've often said don't let better be, or don't let perfect be the enemy of better. <laughs> you know, you can always make those improvements. And if you are making just a little change to some people, even if they are in that environment, then, you know, hopefully that will give them more resilience, more aptitude to, to be able to deal with the situation and the environment that they're in. Yeah. Fantastic. And so how do you, when you, what do your engagements tend to look like? Are are they, uh, you know, more workshop training? Do you do one-on-one coaching? Is there a bit of a mix there? How do you tend to engage with your clients? Predominantly my work are, is through workshops. So um, there will be small groups, maybe between sometimes as small as three, uh, sometimes as large as 30 to 40. Mm. So depending on that group size, there'll be variability in how interactive and intimate uh, the, the session can be. Mm. And I also have a an arm of my business in consulting. So that's when I work directly with clients, helping them develop their strategy or understanding their culture, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of done on a more bespoke one-on-one level. Right. Fantastic. And just out of interest, because it's something that I um, I did a few years of facilitation as my core piece 
um, when I was living and working in New Zealand before I actually got any training in facilitation in terms of how to facilitate. And the conversations I had with a number of people were, well, I've been doing this for years, but nobody's ever really taught me how. And I'm always intrigued. You know, have you ever been taught how to facilitate? Is it just something that's come naturally? Uh, Very good question. Um, <laughs> no, I have learned it through the school of hard knocks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Often the best way to learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get thrown in the deep end. You have to figure it out. I think observation is really important. Listening. The yep. ability to reflect afterwards look not every of my sessions have gone great i'll be mm. absolutely honest with you but mm. i have learned from every single one mm. i also have a tribe of very very experienced facilitators who keep me on the straight and narrow who i can consult with um when i am concerned with a particular thing right oh, awesome and, and that sort of uh, takes us nicely into this sort of second question which is how do you up your own game you know where do you go for help with your performance you mentioned uh, some a sort of tribe of facilitators and supporters there um do you go to others um do you have people um either in your business you know, is it just yourself in in fierce consulting do you have others associates that sort of thing no fierce consulting is just me yeah and from time to time i will collaborate with other one man or one person businesses yeah. for larger contracts or just for interest and variety <laughs> Frankly, it's fun working with other people. Um, and, and that will form part of my tribe. So there is a group of people. We are called the, the minglers, the mingling of the minds. And we meet every few months, mainly on Zoom, because we're dotted around the world. Right. And we support each other at the, a very um, deep, friendly level. We each run our own businesses or we are in the, this type of area of work. And we counsel each other. We challenge each other. We advise each other. Um, we are very transparent with each other. So right. sometimes I find with smaller businesses, people are very cagey about sharing financial information, for hmm. instance. And yet we know when entities share financial information, we get more fairness in pricing, right? Hmm. More consistency. So um, certainly from a diversity perspective. So, you know, I'm always very keen to, you know, sit down and share with with new people that are joining the business and I'll, I'll show them how I do it. Uh, so that they don't under undervalue themselves so that's that's definitely one way to help people perform i think um i'm not overly fussed with performing actually <laughs> <laughs> perhaps it's just the way i have learned to understand that word right me performance feels um like a degree of pressure mm. and to excel and i with the way i want to live my life I'm not entirely sure I need to excel that much anymore. Um, certainly not to put pressure on myself. I, right. you know, I want to have a, a calmer life, I think. I'm, I'm at that stage. And do you think that uh, approach and that attitude helped you and has, has helped you with your engagements and things like that? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there are things that I will not negotiate on. So I always work extremely hard to ensure that my clients get high quality work, my devoted attention the best of my thinking and all of the resources I have to have so that those are things I never compromise on mm. and I guess I'm thinking of you know the pressure we get sometimes as business people to you know build it bigger you know right. so when is you when are you going to expand and, and each year your revenue has to be bigger 
and you join these business masterminds where you're drilled to have this very fantastic marketing and the tagline and all of that. And I'm like, well, do I really, do I really need that? Do I need need to push that hard to increase my revenue year on year? Um, what does that mean? What do I give up as a right. consequence? Yeah. Um, perhaps, perhaps there's other things in my life like gardening, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like my my beloved gardening that I prefer to do. So yeah. Oh, nice. And and is that something like gardening? Uh, I know I've talked to other people. Uh, Jens Heitland in one of the earlier pieces talked about running and exercise and how that really helps him to to you know sort of cement his thinking and have a bit of freedom from thinking. Is is gardening the thing for you? Absolutely, gardening is the thing for me. Right. <laughs> um, so it is where I go to feel safe. It's where I go to feel happy. It's where I go to be creative. Um, it's where I exercise my um, my skills as an engineer and my my proclivity for mechanics. So I love little inventing little things and building things. And I get a lot of analogies from gardening into the world of leadership and management. Right. Um, you know, the art of right plant in the right place. Right. That is a very common phrase we have in the gardening world. And I think about how we choose leaders and how we recruit or promote people mm. um, we need to think about putting the right person in the right spot and we're not so good as a society at identifying those criteria and, and slotting people into the right pockets mm. like yeah, I don't know. I was talking to somebody recently about the sort of farming analogy, which has got a lot of links, obviously, the sort of you sow the seed, you nurture, you don't tell a plant to grow. You don't you're not there saying grow, grow more today, grow more. You've given them the conditions to grow. You are you know, nurturing, making sure the soil's right. You give them the making sure the water's there. Um, yeah. And, and then you are allowing them to you know, c come up as their own in uh, their own sort of ways of, uh, of of growth really and that sounds similar to the um uh, to the gardening world in, in some ways absolutely yeah fantastic and there uh, um so in terms of um your clients or the people that you want to work with the things that you would like to do um, are there any things uh, any organizations individuals groups that you would just love to have the opportunity to engage with um, and use your skill set to maybe help them perform? Oh, hmm. You know, I said earlier that I don't have a particular specialist subject, although project management has been my, my sweet spot. And I'm not particularly focused on a, a sector or industry or organizational size, even though I have been funneled into institutions. But I think where I am unique is how I play my background of, of technical ability and precision mm. with a massive sense of fun and humanness. Right. Right. So, you know, I went to a good university. I got a good degree. I excelled in a pretty tough industry and a tough role. I can hold my own in most conversations. <laughs> yeah. But I don't feel the need to be all fancy or serious at work. Mm. I don't think any of those things contribute to my ability to be successful. 
Mm. in the working world and I feel sad when I meet people in corporate setting who feel they have to put on a particular um, image or demeanor in order to survive Mm. and they're not really being their authentic selves and we've lost I think a lot of workplaces are quite inhuman or inhumane Mm. and I don't know why we have allowed ourselves to get into that situation (laughs) We stumbled into it over a hundred years of industrial uh, development. And, I think. Uh, hmm, go ahead. I was just going to say that the point that you made earlier on about um, you know what's been ingrained in you about performance and you, you challenging that. I don't think a lot of in, uh, businesses do that, um, you know, or they're very narrow-minded in what performance is. You know, the performance is the financials, it's the growth, it's the uh, the shareholder value. Very important. But it's not the be all and end all, is it? There's what you achieve, and there's also how you achieve it. I think that's a that's a really important part of that's success. Success is not I've got the results at the expense of all the uh, of my people or the expense of the environment, whatever it might be. Um, I think we're now coming to much more of a world of the success is the business results with the corporate responsibility uh, results that go along with that. Yeah. Mm, absolutely and I think and I think we need to be having that conversation at the shareholder level mm. and at the investor level as uh, the um the pension level right. so I think about the pressures on a CEO of this quarterly reporting and having to deliver these results why is she having to, to deal with that well look who owns the business right. and what do they expect Okay, so it's predominantly going to be investment funds and pension funds that hold these assets. Okay, so why are they driving for performance? Well, that's my pension, that's yours and my pension fund. <laughs> and, that, and we log in periodically and go, what's going on? Why have they not gone up, right? right? Yeah. So, and yet, <laughs> we are the employees or we are supporting the employees that are potentially suffering as a result of that culture. Mm that hamster wheel we really need to step back and ask ourselves you know what is our expectations in terms of retirement um you know are we living far far longer than we ever anticipated right so if i'm thinking i start work at 20 and i want to retire at 60 but i'm going to live probably to 100 i'm having to finance practically you know so 20 to 20 to 60 so that's how many years help me with my last 40 40 years of work I'm going to live right that doesn't work that effectively yeah how do I would end up having to need such giant pension returns in order Mm. to finance that and we're not talking about it no no it's very much the uh, the elephant in the room isn't it with the the society that is aging and uh, but not necessarily uh, working or 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 putting plowing the money away uh, in order to support that it's a it's a tricky one yeah 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 oh. <laughs> an amazing topic just in in itself really but uh, um other question that I like to ask, ask people as well is um who would be your ideal person or team or organization that you could learn from if you could sit down be a fly on the wall or have a cup of coffee with an individual where would you want to be and with who in order to learn more about um that could help your own performance Oh, my own performance, my personal performance. In whatever context you see that. Okay, so I, I'm i going to define performance as my ability to live life to the full. Nice. 
And I would love to sit in a room with, I'd like to go to a, a nursing home. And I would like to have a bunch of older folks who are nearing the end of their life, who've had very diverse, colorful um, lives. And I, I wanna hear, I wanna listen to what they have to say. Yeah. And I want them to tell me I'm being an idiot here. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be like, no, 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 you've got it all wrong, love. This yeah. is how it works. And right. this is this is how it fits together. And, and you don't need to worry about this, but you do need to worry about that. Right. Um, I think that I think those are the types of people I want to spend time with. Nice. So just learning from that direct lived experience. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and there's I mean, certainly with the you know, the the people that we're talking about are have gone through you know if people are in their 70s 80s now then they've lived through all sorts of things over the last century and uh um you know uh i used to have some great conversations with my gran who was uh, lived into her mid 90s and you know the the diversity of what they've lived through the good times and the bad and how they've coped with that and what's gone on is uh it, yeah it can be really humbling and also educational for what you know what do you actually define a success for your life and uh what are you going to do about it to, to move forward yeah i can i can i can bet you my bottom dollar that in my dying breaths i'm not going to be thinking about the pnl or fierce consultant <laughs> <laughs> i wish i'd have done one more workshop now <laughs> oh i forgot to say that in that project management exercise no i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be worried about that I will be thinking about the people I helped and the feedback I periodically receive. Someone says, oh, thank you so much for that one thing you said in this one workshop. It really changed me. It really changed the way I thought. I'm like, right. you know what? that makes a difference. That's yeah. nice. Yeah. And I, I think if you're anything like me, one of the reasons I've gone into that field is that the, that's the bit that's let's be honest it doesn't happen very often even if you're doing a great job all the time you don't always get that feedback uh, and the the positive feedback at least <laughs> as well to say what you said what you did really got me thinking it really changed the way I look at things it got me doing something differently um but when that happens that for me just that's the the energy levels the batteries recharged it's all good to go again yeah, it all makes it worth it, doesn't it? So I guess that's the lesson for us, right? Maybe we should send an email to people that have hosted training or coaching for us that we haven't talked to in a long time, maybe in an old teacher. Yes, like if you're listening to this podcast and you can think <laughs> of somebody that made a little difference to you, be it an old boss or something, yeah. just give them a note because it makes such such a difference. Yeah, yeah a really nice sense. I like that. Um, and if people want to find out more about you, about Fierce Consulting, what you do, where can we go to find out more? Oh, given that my social media game is appalling, I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I'm sure in your podcast notes, you will have a link to my website so people can learn a little bit more about me and see what I look like and sorts of stuff I get up to. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. And I think I even have some sort of old Facebook page for the business as well. But, uh, you know, good old fashioned email would be more than sufficient. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, I will definitely put those things into the show notes and we'll make sure that people know how to get in touch with you, uh, how, how to reach out if, if needs be and find out more, uh, maybe engage. And you, you never know if you if this is the sort of thing that you're looking for, that really human connection to addressing the problems that you've got right now, then, uh, yeah, reach out to you and, and, uh, and give her a shout. And I'm sure you'd be always open to having a chat about what you can do to help people. 
Oh, yeah. So I'm always open for a chat. Frankly. <laughs> There's chocolate digesters involved. That was oh. my one of my key stakeholder engagement tips is bring biscuits. You'd be surprised what one can achieve with biscuits. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, <laughs> on that amazing note, you know, you don't get much better practical tips than that. Uh, let's let's all go off, have a cup of tea and a biscuit. And uh, Ewan, thanks so much for being on. Really appreciate you coming along today. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, then please do give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me at paulteasdale.co.uk.